Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 43, our look at the future of combination therapies, plus, from the more recent vault, a section of a May 2022 episode on Nash drug development that presages the topics we discuss in this week's episode. This discussion continues the focus on the optimal number of agents of combination therapy. My email, Corey, starts by noting how unique it is to have a conversation like this in a disease with no recently approved drugs. He points out that it makes drug selection for combination trials more about theory and logic and cites Turns Pharmaceuticals, a company acting in this matter. With other diseases, we've focused more on combining drugs that were already in market and might have been used in hundreds of thousands or millions of patients already. I share my understanding that in combination therapy, we're looking at three targets, fibrosis, inflammation, and liver fat, and ask whether that will lead to three agents as the optimal combination as compared to two. The group consensus, led by Mazen, is the tool will be preferable if we can achieve everything we want. And Naeem points out that some patients, notably those with minimal or no fibrosis, will probably do well with monotherapy and that the need for two or perhaps eventually three drug combinations will increase consistent with disease severity, peaking with patients with cirrhosis. This conversation considers in broad terms the practical, clinical, and commercial issues that will frame the future of frontline drug development for the entire range of NASH patients, focusing both on drugs and, in a sense, diagnostics. It leaves a great deal for all of us to ponder. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn or Facebook discussion groups. Can I ask about one other baby that hasn't been mentioned yet and may not even be a baby? It may simply be a glimmer in my eye. Mazen made the comment a while ago that it would be great if all these agents were oral. There is an oral SEMA, right? It's not as efficacious as the non-oral SEMA, for want of a better term. But could we look, for example, in a situation like that at making that a part of a combination package, an oral combination package? And are you aware that whether that is or isn't being done right now that you can say? I think the main concern from Novo was that there are no GLP-1 receptors and the liver and that the mechanism of action in terms of NASH resolution is mediated by weight loss. So they wanted to go with the highest weight loss that you can achieve. But I totally agree, Roger. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, Novo is not the only company with an oral GLP-1 agonist. So there are discussions and there are other companies that have oral GLP-1 agonists that are being looked at as monotherapy and potentially as part of combination therapy. It makes a lot of sense. And the weight loss is actually better than the SGLT2 inhibitors though it's not as good as the injectable GLP-1 agonist. And there are other companies, obviously, with dual agonists, as Mazen mentioned earlier. There's Altamune, there's Lily with terzipatide. And now we are seeing weight loss in the 20-22% range with terzipatide. And then Novo just had a press release also with the new combination called Cagri-Sema. And in that one, there was more weight loss than semaglutide monotherapy. It was a relatively short-term, 32 weeks, but definitely more potent than Sema monotherapy. So there's more to the story. I mean, we didn't discuss also every combination trial. Novo has another combination trial that they're doing with Cagri Sema plus an FGF21 agonist, which would be similar to the Akira and 89 bio. So there's a lot that's happening in that space. Part of it is let's see how much weight loss we can induce, but also let's look at liver targeted effects in terms of defatting liver NASH resolution. And eventually we want to see fibrosis regression with these combinations. We're heading to the bottom of the 
hour. And I guess to, to steal Mazen's metaphor, the first thing I want to do before we go to final question is simply ask the uh, Matt Damon of hepatology if he has any insights on either how Naeem can manage not to gain weight during a 36-month pregnancy, which sounds challenging to me, or generally any insights on how to get any of these things sorted out faster or more efficiently than we're talking about today. Yarn Schottenberg. That goes to me, Roger. And Yarn, yeah, if you don't like that question, answer whichever one you choose, okay? <laughs> no, it's fine. Just listening to the last comment of Naeem, I was reminded we're not developing a weight loss drug for patients with liver disease. We're developing an anti-metabolic, anti-fibrotic drug in patients with severe steatohepatitis and fibrosis. So it's not all about weight loss. And I would want to see, you know, it's good to crank up the amount of weight that can be lost. But I think we're all looking for that modifier that maximizes the fibrosis regression or turns off steatohepatitis in these patients. So that's point one. The time it takes to resolve some of those changes, some studies have shown very quick results, even on biopsy. Remember, 12-week biopsy studies showing some improvement in fibrosis. So I think still, after all these studies, we're seeing some heterogeneity across the clinical trials. And as I mentioned before, I think part of that heterogeneity, we're just going to sort out in the bigger cohorts when we treat more patients and have drug available in, in, in clinics. But beyond that, I think, you know, the, the approach is reasonable. And I, I'm uh, just like to uh, congratulate both Naeem and Mazen again for um, bringing this one over the finish time, although it took some while to get published, but uh, good things are close on the horizon. Amen to that. Final question to everybody. I'm going to ask everyone to take a stand. Seven years from today, what percentage of patients being treated for Nash fibrosis, non-serotic, and then serotic will be treated with combination therapies? Seven years, because I think it gives enough time for the market to sort out a little bit on uh, monotherapies as well. Brave one, go first. We're going to put it in a time capsule. Seven years from today, someone's going to open it and say, gosh, uh, are you guys I smart? Can, yeah. I, Name Alcuri. I can give you a quick answer here. I, I would say the majority of patients with Nash cirrhosis will be on combination therapy. I think the majority of patients with F2 fibrosis, maybe F1 by then, will be on monotherapy. And then F3 is going to be probably 50-50 uh, with the trend toward you know adding more agents uh, over time to prevent progression to cirrhosis. Mazen Nuruddin. I have sometimes to disagree and argue. It's not because Na- Naeem is wrong. I think in seven years, we will not get to combo for NASH patients just from regulation, partnership, logistics, and all that. I will be happy in seven years if I have, I'm using something on, on NASH serotonin patients. Louise Campbell. I was going to jump between the two and be slightly positive in the fact that I agree with Naeem. If we get there, it would be great. But I do think that maybe 80 to 90 percent of cirrhotic patients will be on a combination therapy purely because they're the ones in greatest need, I think, because of the cost and the advantage in low F2 fibrosis, then probably maybe only 10 or 20 percent. But I think the F3 and those identified as fast progressors will go on to combo therapy because those, again, are the ones who are in need and progressing more quickly. There will be stratifications of who gets access to medications. We haven't even got to the stratification who's even going to get located and found yet. So we've got a number of hurdles to jump. I'd like to think we're there in seven years. I'm probably more with Marzen on that there will be a lot of hiccups in the way, but hopefully 
there'll be some fast tracking and some great outcomes. And this baby being delivered by us hepatology gynecologists and midwives is actually not a bad one. I, I have a question. The final question. What is Matt Damon's most famous movie? Well, wait a second. Matt hasn't answered this. Yorn has not answered this question. And then we can go to your point, which I'm sure is going to be sure. Glad. I'll invite I'll invite you guys over to my next movie set and we'll hang out. You you can be the groupies and uh, I'll, I'll be doing the work. <laughs> Anyways, I like the born identity. How about you, Mazin? I think I've seen, uh, believe it or not, um, me being a fob and a lot of people will know what's a fob. I have seen the, these series recently and I, I quite enjoyed them. And I honestly thought of you when I was looking at him. <laughs> All right. To bring this back to uh, the actual content of this podcast, Roger, this, this has really been hijacked by a movie fan here. <laughs> you know, I think there is multiple hurdles and looking at the way where we identify the patients, we got to still do a lot of education on partnering physicians and really educate them about the NIT and identifying these. You know, even if we have a drug approved, of course, it's going to help be helpful to to expedite that process. But we got to get the at-risk patients identified in, in endocrinologists' practice, primary care practices, using the right NIT, getting the NIT reimbursed and then having access to the drug. Then adding two drugs in these is going to be a perfect way to round this off. But I think I'm still a little concerned that we will miss a lot of these patients. They don't have access to diagnostics even. So a couple thoughts, right? Number one, you and I agree with you that diagnostic within seven years is going to be a challenge to get appropriately scaled, particularly if we've got to pull it back into primary care, endocrinology, et cetera. Number two, I'm mindful of diabetes and actually hypertension also, where we went from different competing monotherapies to different forms of step therapy, if you will. So step therapy actually is a path to combination therapy that doesn't require single agents that have dual modes of action in them. So my guess is that in seven years, we're less likely to see a bunch of two or three drugs in a single package, more likely to see first line, second line, third line add-ons where you wind up fundamentally with a combination of therapies, even though it isn't where you started. And if you think about it that way, my guess is there's going to be a lot of that in cirrhosis, a bunch of that in F3. I'm not sure my numbers are exactly where names are, but they're not off by much. That's going to be about timing and less so obviously in F1 or F2, where people are going to believe a single therapy can get enough of it done. That would be my guess. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. The next three weeks will be devoted to previewing and then covering the Paris and Nash meeting and the Easel Navaldi Summit. September is a brutal month for travel schedules and, as a result, podcast scheduling. We'll be using some hybrid episode designs, and both Jorn and Louise will miss some episodes. I'll be here for all of them. It will be a challenge and a bit of a wild ride for me, but if you know me by now, you know I love a challenge. So stick with us as we move through the month. If you're in the U.S., enjoy Labor Day. Wherever you are, enjoy the transition to what we hope will be more temperate weather. Stay safe and surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>